Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 67, John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. To show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I want to talk to you today about how you can find the path of peace. When I was little, my parents had a Caprice Classic. Now, I know some of you, you think about a Caprice Classic, if you even know what I'm talking about. I know I'm dating myself a little bit. And for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, it was a Chevrolet uh, car. We called it a land yacht because it's so huge that, I mean, it took like a a week to turn to the left or to the right because it was enormous. And this was back in the day when I I think, if I remember right, this is before seat belts were an actual law. I think they were, I remember the advertisements coming into like trying to get people to put their seatbelt on. And and so uh, when parents would travel, you know, you didn't have all of these safety things like the, like the weak kids have these days. Um, I'm kidding. Um, We didn't know any better. And, and so what would happen is, this was routine, is the, the Caprice Classic in particular, when we would go somewhere, you could lay in the back window. Some of you, right? Yeah. Oh, can I get an amen? That's, I feel the spirit here this morning. And so my sister would lay in the, in the back window of the Caprice Classic as we would you know, travel from here to there. And then it was large enough, and I was small enough, that I could fit down into the wheel well of the, where, the, where you put your feet. And so I could lay my upper body in one half, and then my knees would go over the wheel well, and then my feet would go over here. And, and we just thought that was, the, I mean, that was, that was traveling. I don't know what a limo's like, cause I don't, but a Caprice Classic was really something. And, and it was in a Caprice Classic on a trip. I don't remember where we were going, but I was probably eight or nine years old, that I had what I can only describe as my first experience of real peace. So we're driving somewhere, and I'm, my sister's there, and I'm laying down in the... Well, and I, my, my dad was driving, and I was laying on my upper torso on the right side, and I, I reached my hand up by the seat, because it was a big bucket seat, and I, I put my hand up there, and my mom reached over. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm eight, nine years old, and took my hand. And I, 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 if you've had that kind of experience, it, it was, a, it was a, I, I remember it so vividly, the, the absolute peace 
that overwhelmed my entire body. And it was my first experience of real and genuine peace. And I want to talk to you about how you can find the path of that kind of peace. Now you may say, so you're saying at eight years old, you had peace? No, no. What I'm trying to say, and what I'm going to say to you this morning as we look at this text is, no, no, I was, I was past peace. Someone who had it shared it with me so that I could experience and see what it was like. Because I, the reason I know that is because it was the same peace that I felt at the side of her casket eight or so years later when I was a 16-year-old and my mom. It was the same experience that I can't quantify, I can't put into words, I can't, I can't tell you how it worked. I just know that I experienced it. So this Advent, we're in a series starting it today on how you can find peace. And I don't know if there's anything that our world needs more today. I found this picture of a church in Bethlehem. It's a Lutheran church in Bethlehem. And they set up a nativity. This is some of the rubble that's been happening if you've been following the news. And they set up a nativity to, to convey a message. That in the middle of the, the disorderedness, the rubbleness of the world, what we all long for is peace. When I was growing up, one of the most admired people in the country for a few decades was Billy Graham. Passed away now a number of years ago. But Billy Graham's message, and we're going to talk about it on Christmas Eve a little bit more, uh, he talked about, he'd fill stadiums by saying that you could find peace with God. And because I grew up around that, I, I somehow got the idea that that was like the kindergarten version of faith and you needed peace with God and then you moved on to something else. And, and now I realize from my vantage point in life that now that's actually something that everybody wants still today. That, and, and, and everybody wants it, but virtually no one knows how to get it. Governments don't know how to give it. Business leaders don't know how to pass it on. Teachers don't know how to give it. Administrators don't know how to give it. Single parents, teenagers, everybody wants peace, but they don't know the path to it. And so we're going to talk about that this morning. I want to talk to you about under three headings. Number one, uh, grasping peace. Number two, uh, the inescapable reality of the path that you're on, because you're on a path. And then who is it that you need in order to find peace? Grasping peace. Well, what, what are we, when we say the word, I mean, what are we, what are we talking about? The Stoics actually were ancient philosophers. There's a resurgence of Stoicism today. You can read books by people and follow people on Instagram who are extolling the virtues of the Stoic method of life. And it was, the Stoic method of life is like a discipline of your mind. And, and for the Stoics, peace was this preferred state that you have to enter into. But the way that you enter into peace, according to the Stoic way of thinking, is that you have to discipline yourself to get into it. So it's, it's up to you. Kind of the, the, the cultural usage of the word peace is what you and I think of when we think of the word peace. It's, it's almost like there are these moments that we experience between conflicts or between war. There's a story, I promise you'll hear it at some point during Christmas if you've not already, about this peace that was called on the battlefield in World War I. Famously, uh, the, the soldiers got out on Christmas Eve and they started to sing carols and they had a party. And, and for a moment in the middle of the world's conflict, there was peace. Now, when we think about things like that, and we think about the cultural usage of that, the result in, in us is we think, okay, well, that, that was a nice moment in the middle of conflict, and those are like serendipitous kinds of moments. 
but we can't really control when they come or when they go. Uh, it's kind of like um, Kevin in the movie Home Alone. Do you know the movie Home Alone? It's, I know it's been on already. And do you know the whole scene where he's, he's left? If you don't know this, there's two of you who don't know the plot of this movie. You know, he's left Home Alone pre-cell phone. Cell phones, the movie would have been five minutes long. Oh, we'll be right back to get you. And, and Kevin's left home alone, and he fights off these robbers. And there's this moment, this scene at the end of, toward the end of the movie, where Kevin finds his way to a church building. You know this scene? And he goes in, and, and they're painting this picture for you in the movie of this moment in the middle of the conflict when you can have peace. And In other words, peace is only a respite between conflict, but we're not quite sure when it's going to come. It's a function of circumstance. Or another way we think about peace is we think about money, and we think that if you have money, it buys you peace of mind. There's some reality to that. But the idea is that you have to buy peace, and so if you don't have the ability yet to buy peace, then you have to earn peace. All of these ways of trying to grasp at what peace is are, are telling us that you have to act in order to find peace. In other words, peace is your, in some way or fashion, your creation, either through your discipline or through a circumstance that you're in or through your, or through your effort. Is that, is that it? If that's peace, is that, is that it? We seem to figure out one of those paths. You dig into the scriptures, you find something different. The Hebrew understanding of peace had two senses to it. There was a sense of not only my personal well-being, but a, a covenant between people and between God. And so, in other words, peace had to do with everything being okay in me and then everything being okay between us and between God. So the idea was that, for, in, for Hebrews, it was, it was that, that peace is a gift from God, and God acts to give you peace. I want you to notice the words that Zechariah used that, that Jay read just a minute ago. He said, because of the tender mercies of our God, the tender mercies of our God. That's, that's uh, what he's talking about when he talks about peace. Uh, I, Howard Marshall, who's a commentator, wrote about scripture. He's always he said, he, he says, when, when Zechariah there is talking about the tender mercies of God, he's talking about the emotion roused by contact with an affliction which has come undeservedly on someone else. Has anyone else, else had that experience? Like, like, I've got affliction coming on me that was not deserved. Anybody re resonate with that human experience? And, and discipline and circumstance and effort don't do it. Versus God sees what you're going through, and this is what Zechariah is trying to say, God sees what you are going through and is moved by it. Now, all of, any way you look at it, trying to grasp at peace, they all point to the same reality. It's something that we want. We want to be laying in the back seat of a Caprice Classic and reach our hand up and find out that there's a presence there that will share something with us that we want. So let me give you a definition that we'll work with through the course of this series. I, I think it's a helpful definition. It's, I think, accurate to what the scriptures say. It, we'll put it on the screen for you. Peace is the divine confidence. Everything will be okay, even if things don't work out. Peace is the divine confidence. Everything will be okay, even if things don't work out. Now notice what's not in that definition. It's not tied to your discipline. It's not tied to your circumstances. It's not tied to your effort. In fact, the worse things are and the more you're able to maintain peace in the middle of 
difficult circumstances and things you can't control means you are more in the grip of peace. It's fascinating. It's not an accident. When Jesus, after his resurrection, appears to his disciples, I mean, can you think about a group of people who are more worried about their future? They've bet everything on this man for three years. They've left everything behind. And then all of a sudden, he's taken from them, and they think to themselves, we backed the wrong person. I mean, they're uns- I mean, the uncertainty that must have been swirling through their minds and hearts. And Jesus comes into the room. Do you know what, you know what he says? Peace I give to you. My peace I give to you. So peace is actually for people who are uncertain. So if you're in the middle of uncertainty and you don't know what to do, peace is for you. You have to grasp what peace is. It's the divine confidence. Everything will be okay even if things don't work out. So what's the inescapable reality of your path? Here's what I'm wanting to say to you. Everybody in this room listening online is going somewhere. In fact, Zachariah calls it the path of peace. Um, and, and there's two senses we could think about that. There's the, the, the way or the path that you get on. Um, it's a path you follow, and it takes you somewhere, and it's well-traveled. It's, any Lord of the Rings fans, um, those of you who love that, those, that's those stories by J.R. Tolkien and the movies, and, and it's a story of a path that Frodo gets on with these fellow travelers. And that path takes them somewhere. And, and you don't need me to tell you this, but I need to tell you this. You have gotten on a path whether you meant to or not, and it is taking you somewhere, and you cannot escape the fact that you are on a path, because even if you didn't choose that path, and even if you decide not to choose a path, that is choosing a path. So Zechariah, we're told in chapter 1, when you go a little bit back, you find out that Zechariah belonged to the priestly division of the the Israelites, and his wife was a descendant of Aaron, the, the priest, so he's a member of the of, of the Aaronic priesthood. He, it, it's, the, it's the guild that he belongs to. It's the family business. It's the path that he got on that took him somewhere in his life. I, I read this story by Zechariah, and I, I really feel a kinship, the fact that he got on this path, and, and I kind of think he got on it and went, well, that's what I'm going to do. I was um, in seminary, and, and um, I, I had a pastor of a church, not a, not a Nazarene church, I met through a, at a party, and, and he said, oh, so you're in seminary. And he said, is that like you're you're trying to, you know, just try to understand the world better, and he just was trying to be kind in the way he said it, and, and I remember feeling it, like, well, duh, I'm like, that's what I'm supposed to do. It was almost like I felt like a, a, a sense of destiny, like that was a, I, I'm supposed to be on this. I mean, this is the, just the path that I'm on, and this was Zachariah's path. He was a priest in the temple, and his job was his path in life. You're on a path. Whatever that might be, and, and it's, it's an answer to the question, you know, what are you going to do when you grow up? And so often, often, here's what happens. The path that you are on externally isn't something that you chose. You, you may have been born into it, in a sense. And it's a function of your time or your place or your circumstance. So there's, there's a, a sense of way is this external path. But then the path, the piece, is, another way to think about a path or a way is it's a comment on the kind of person that you are. You know, we, we have phrases. We say, well, you know, that's just her way. Uh, that's just his way. It's, it's how you go about things. It's a, a comment on your character, your demeanor, or your outlook. Listen, you may have an external path that you've gotten on, but you also have a path on the inside of you, and it's who you are becoming. A week ago, we, uh, Sylvia Culotto, um, 
who many of you know, uh, had her funeral, and the family asked me to read a prayer. She's 80, 85 when she passed away. Asked me to read a prayer that, that she had, they found. And here's this 85-year-old woman who's lived a long, rich, fulfilling life, known and loved God from the majority of her life. And it's this prayer that says, God, I'm, in essence, I, I'm still becoming who I am. And I realize, oh, everybody is still becoming something, right? It's okay for you to still, whatever season you're in, it's okay for you to still become something. And, and when you read about Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth, the mother of John, you find out that they had not only this external path, the priest, but they had an internal path too, the kind of people that they were. And it's commented on in, in uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 6. Um, Luke says this, both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees, blamelessly blamelessly so in other words a path is it's external and it's internal so it's is where you go and the way you are it's where you go and it's the way you are and it's inescapable you are on a path externally and internally because it's human to be on a path now here's what we think we think okay because we don't usually think in these terms of you know internal external path we just think I'm, I'm making some decisions in my life, and I'm getting on a path, and, and we think that if we pick the right path, we think that path will deliver to us everything that we want. So we think to ourselves things like, okay, well, if I take, you know, I'm, I'm doing this job right now, and if I go and I do this job, then maybe I'll be more fulfilled in this job. Or we think, well, okay, I've got this big goal, and if I could accomplish that goal, then I would be a success. I would feel like I've accomplished something with my life. Or maybe if I marry this person, then I'll find love. Or if I have a child, then we'll be complete as a family. And in the West, we, th- we believe that we are the masters of our fate. And so we believe that if we will pick the right path, we'll get the right things, and we'll become the right person. And a byproduct of that is peace. Now listen, you don't really think about peace until you don't have it. <laughs> until life fails to deliver for you. So we get on, I, I call them sensible paths. You know, they make sense. Like, well, yeah, well, duh. You, you, you want to get on that path because that's going to take you in a, in a positive direction. And, and in our world, there's, there's, I think, two kind of broad categories of those kinds of paths. Either what I would call the, the be better path, a better myself, or, or the be honest path. And let me give you two examples of each of those kinds of paths because I think they're paths that people are choosing today. Here's, here's a be better path. It's, it's the path of being right. So we, we think today that, that if you know the right people, if you have the right information, if you have the right education or the right pedigree, or you spouse the right ideology, that means that then you are right. I, I don't know if there has been a generation, at least in America, that is more concerned with the biblical category of righteousness minus the biblical foundation for it. Like we're always we're worried about who is the righteous person, and, and I want to we say things like you don't you gotta be on the right side of history, and you don't want to have the wrong ideas, and so this is the path of being right. It's a be better path. It's about education and dominance and winning. This sounds a little counterintuitive, but a, a, a be honest path. I, I would call it the path of loneliness. Now you, you you could read any of the stats you wanted to on loneliness in America. You could read the stat that tells you that being lonely is worse for you and your health than smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. And you would say, well, no one chooses that path, Scott. I just would beg to differ. I just would argue with you that our society is set up 
to put you by yourself because we, are, we believe in Project Self. We believe that we are the captain of our ship and that I can create the life that I want. And, and honestly, in, in some ways, it's not actually very conscious. It's what, just what our society is set up to create is lonely people. And so as a result of us being on our Project Self and doing our own thing and staring at our own phone to the exclusion of other people, we don't really have time and space for other people because we're too built, busy building our system and our empire. And so it's a beyond, the reason I call it a be honest path is because we say, well, I, I'm, I'm going to make this about me and about my project and about forging my way in the world, and then maybe I'll sing the song by Frank Sinatra at the end, I, I did it my way. Oh, here's another be better path. It's a, um, I'll call it the path of crushing it. It's like, it's the path of working hard. It's the path of putting in the hours. It's the path of being the success. David Brooks, who writes for the New York Times, came a, became a Christian. He's written several books. It's really insightful. And, and in one of his books, he talks about the difference between what he calls resume virtues and eulogy virtues. Do you know what I mean when he says that? In other words, there are the, the things that you put on your resume that say, this is what I can accomplish, and this is the value that I add, the resume virtues that impress people. And then there are what he calls, again, the eulogy virtues. It's the things when you die, people stand up and say about you. And he says, usually those are not the same list. But in, our, in the path of crushing it, what we have said as a society is we've said, you know, actually, I know they're going to say things about me when I'm in the casket and I'm dead and I can't hear the, what they say, but, but actually it really does matter. The resume virtues really are the, the, the virtues that matter most. Now you would say, well, you're probably immune to that, Scott. You don't live in the real world. You're a pastor. You don't, you don't struggle with that. That's not true. I was at a gathering of pastors a number of years ago, and um, I was sharing a thing in that gathering with a number of Nazarene pastors. Most of them were younger than me, and um, I was asked to share a specific thing about a subject. And so I'm talking, and I'm, I was actually talking about peace. I was talking about, as a leader, you need to find the speed that you're going to operate by. And I was trying to say, listen, I, I think Jesus operated by the speed of peace. He was never rushed. He was never in a hurry. You don't get the sense Jesus was frantic on the inside. He's like, well, I'm not sure how it's going to work out. Got to work harder. So I, so I said the speed of peace. And so this, this guy raised his hand, and he said, so tell me how, how, how big is your church? And we were a thousand or so people. And I, I, I'm like, well, this, you know, this, this, and, and this. I'll never forget what he said. He's like, oh, I, I wrote it down because I wanted to make sure I, I said it to you right. He said, this is what he said. Oh, I guess you've earned the right to peace then. Huh. He believed like we all believe in our culture, you got to crush it, man. You got to crush it. If you crush it, then you'll get peace. It's a, it's a, it's a be better path. You work harder than the other person. Here's another a be honest path. I, I call it the path of despair. Again, no one would choose this, but it's a, it's a be honest path. You know, it's all of our movies. I've referenced this with you before. It's, it's an honesty about the state of the world. If you track the suicide rates, our suicide rates are up in our, our culture. And, and it's, a, it's a be honest, though. It's a be honest path because we say, like, Ancient poets said, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Now, what are, what are these paths, these sensible paths, what, what are they attempting? There, there are ways that we as human beings try to save ourselves by our, either our good works or by our honest reflection. 
So we say, okay, well, I'm going to do really well. <laughs> and, and if I can't do really well, at least I'll be honest about the journey. Now, when we take these sensible paths, I, I promise we want, you know, if we take the path of being right, I know we want peace. If we take the path of saying, well, I'm going to, you know, be lonely, or I'm going to fight against love, we, we still want peace. If we, we, we're trying to crush it, we're trying to win, we're trying to be successful, we still want peace. We take the path of despair, we still want meaning, we still want peace. And I want you to notice what Zechariah says are the, the human results of, of any other alternate path. Um, he says things like, you'll be abandoned. And now I'm just going to read it to you. You go read his poem that he quotes there, Luke chapter 1, 68. He says, praise to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. Why would God come to people? It, he's saying that the human experience is abandonment when you choose a path apart from God. You feel alone in the world. And, and you have enemies who hate you. He, he says that salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Right? You, you take those paths, you accumulate people who don't like you. And then there's the piling up of your sins when you take those paths. He says that Jesus came to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. And then when you take those paths, you can't escape moments of darkness and, and, and the end looms large for you. You're like, fight it. And he says Jesus came to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death. In other words, you can't escape that you are on a path. It is inescapable. But like Zechariah, if you understand his story... <laughs> and you read back a little bit about his story, what you find out is that you won't see your path isn't working until it stops working. Like you can be on the wrong path and someone can even say, it won't take you where you want to go. And until you stare in the face that it's not working and there's no peace and there's, you're reaching your hand up into the front seat and there's no hand to hold you, you don't know it doesn't work. And I'm trying to tell you, those paths don't work. So what's the path of peace, and who do you need to find it? Well, what's Zechariah doing? He's prophesying about his, about his son, John the Baptist, who, and who is going to point to his cousin, Jesus of, of Nazareth. And, and he says it there. He says he's going to guide our feet into the path of peace. In other words, Zechariah says what Jesus is going to do is he's going to guide you into a path, a, a way that you go. One of the more famous texts in all of the New Testament about peace and anxiety and what to do about it is in the letter that Paul wrote to the Christians in Philippi, chapter 4, and he talks there about what to do when you feel anxiety and, and how, to, how to, it's not a formula as much as it's a path, but I want to put it on the screen for you, and I want you to hear Paul's words. He says, don't be anxious. The, the word there is not the, the natural concerns that you have about life. It's just like when you're torn up about something. I'm just so torn up about this. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And, the, and then listen to what he says. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If, if I've come to visit you in the hospital, you probably know that I will pray this prayer. I inject it in you like the doctor or nurse when they come and inject you with medicine. I, I, I inject this. I, I pray this. I'm like, God, stand over their mind and heart like a, the, the images of a guard standing over your heart. Stand over your, their heart and their mind with your peace. Like a guard them with your peace, God. How do you get on that path, though? That's the question. That's the million-dollar question. Well, what does is, what is Zechariah say? He says, you have to be guided onto the path of peace, to guide our feet onto the path of peace. In other words, it's not a path you find. It's a path you are led to. What's this tell us about the path of peace? The answer to peace is always a who 
not a what. You take the sensible paths. Who, 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 is the, who is the who? The who is you. And in the words of one of the communicators in our day who's effective and people listen to, how's that working for you? <laughs> Why? Why? Why can you get on the path? It's, you have a guide who has tender mercy for you. you. You long in your heart for someone to have tender mercy toward you. And you ask yourselves questions like, is there tender mercy for someone like me? based on what I've been through, with what I struggle with? And Zechariah says, yes. <laughs> because the, the, the reality is, is without God in your life, you are restless. It's a, restlessness is a consequence of not having God in your life. And, and when you look at Jesus who comes in a manger and then dies on a cross, Jesus on the cross is taking those consequences on himself. It's an, the Jesus on the cross is an expression of the tender mercy of our God. So how would you apply this? Well, you have to spend your time with the who, not trying to sort out the what. Let me say it to you again. You have to spend your time with the who, not trying to sort out the what. Now you got, well, Scott, are there tips and tricks? Sure. Maybe your blood sugar's off. Maybe you don't sleep well enough. Maybe you need a better routine. Those things may all be true. But in the end, it's a who. It's someone you reach up and they're holding your hand. And they pass to you peace that you don't possess. And they share it with you. That's what you want, right? It's the who, not the what. Horatio Spafford was a, a very wealthy lawyer, lived in Chicago. And he owned a lot of property in the north side of downtown Chicago. We used to live near Chicago. And in 1870, um, one of their five children died, four-year-old boy's son, Horatio Jr., died of scarlet fever. A year later, in 1871, was the Great Fire of Chicago. You may have read about that in history books. Now, if you go to that spot, I've been to that spot where that is, I looked it up, and, and now there's a Nordstrom rack and a Whole Foods, go figure. But it burned down the city of Chicago, uh, 300 people lost their lives, uh, 100,000 people were made homeless, and Horatio Spafford lost a lot of the property that he had invested in, he was heavily in debt, lost a lot of the property. It was a difficult several years for him, and um, a couple years later, at the advice of a physician, they said, you know, you, you really should, you really should be, get, go somewhere, and he had the means to do it, and he said, you know, let's go, to, let's go to Europe. He was friends with a guy by the name of D.L. Moody, Dwight Moody, who traveled around the country in the name of Jesus, preaching messages, and founded a church in Chicago, still there today, Moody, Moody Church, up in the north side of Chicago. And his friend Dwight was going to be in England, and so he and his remaining four kids and his wife, Anna, were going to, went to New York and they were going to get on the boat. And as they were going to get on the boat, uh, he got a call about some real estate and he had to stay back. He said, I'll meet you there. I'll, I'll meet you. And as they were traveling several days into their trip, their ship was struck by an iron ship. And in about 12 minutes, the people who survived said the ship went down. And Anna, his wife, was the only one who survived. Her four kids, her four little children, 
perished in the icy waters of the North Sea. When she got to England, because this is in the day when you, of course, couldn't give an immediate message, she sent a telegram back. It's famously quoted as two words, but it was a little longer than that. But it, her, she started out the message back to her husband, saved alone. Obviously, he's torn up. He got on a boat. He went over, and he said the captain came to him when they crossed the point at which the accident happened. And he said, this, it's this spot right here. And he watched the sea billows rolling. Some people say it was at that moment, and some people say it was a little bit later, but he wrote a song. Some of you have been around for a long time. You know the song. It goes like this. When peace like a river, sing it, you know what? Attendeth. we confess that we have tried every other path but the path of reaching out our hand. Thank you for the offer and the gift of your presence that's there for us, that, that peace is a who, not a what. Lord, we want to be on the path of peace. So Lord, we give up other paths and you're going to have to teach us, you're going to have to teach us how to hold on to peace and keep our mind fixed on you like the prophet says we keep our mind fixed on you you'll keep us in peace Lord we want that so you teach us how to be because you are the prince of peace so teach us how to have what you have Lord we want to be in the grip of peace so that when things don't work we have the divine confidence that everything will be okay thank you You've been in the business of doing that for people forever. <laughs> you did it for Horatio Spafford, and you did it for Zechariah, and you did it for John the Baptist, and you did it for Elizabeth, and Lord, you can do it for us. And so we want to receive today your peace. We want to get on the path of peace today, God. So we reach out our hand to the who, not the what. Overwhelm us, Lord, stand guard over our hearts and minds with your peace, a peace that we cannot translate into language, but a peace that we experience in reality, a divine sense that it will be okay. Gift us with that today, Prince of Peace, we need it. We pray this in your name and all of God's people said.